all the right notes, the first book by Twitter influencer Lance Levine. It's a wild ride down a path of musical adventure that recaps many random run-ins with rock royalty, such as U2, Slash, The Ramones, The Goo Goo Dolls, and many more. And all the crazy occurrences that have happened to him that trace back to music. All the right notes is 209 pages sure to bring a smile to your face and to remind you how much music has probably touched your life as well. All the right notes available now on Amazon in paperback for $14.99 and on Kindle for all you tech warriors for $9.99. Also at local Chicago bookstores, as well as Rolling Stone Records on Harlem and Irving. If you can't find it, ask for it by name. All the right notes by Lance Levine. And I have been told I could not put it down. I read it all in one day. So order it now and see what all the fuss is about. You want the best, you got the best. The best little wrestling podcast in the business. All episodes on www.stspod.club. Do you enjoy all the shows here on stspod.club? Well, cash app us at dollar sign BTSTS. Do you not have the app? Download it and get $5 by using the code dollar sign btsts that's dollar sign btsts Welcome back to the record store. This is, as you can see, this is, if you can see, this is our first live feed version. Got to thank our house band, Disgusting Torque, for our, our, our theme song for the month, of course. So welcome back to Rocktober. And as you can see, if you're watching the video feed, we have a very special guest for this episode. It is Mr. Joe Feeney, the host of Creative Control, the famous podcasting legend from Keeping It 100. And I'm pretty sure there's some Jericho connections there, right, Joe? Yeah, I uh, well, I originally, when I worked at first for Conan, I worked for the, what was the Jericho Network at the time, and it went from podcast one to Westwood one and then kind of dissolved, but I stayed in touch with Chris and cool with Chris, so I, I did his show a couple of times. And hence the uh, front row seats in Philadelphia when, uh, who was it that yeah. got thrown into you? One of the, somebody um, got thrown into you. Brian Cage through, um, who's the kid, the TNT champion? Oh, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks, Ricky Starks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. FTW yeah. champion. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so welcome on, Joe. The reason I wanted you on is because I know that you are there are certain people that we associate with certain bands and like people know that I'm the Fleetwood Mac guy. I always knew you as the Guns N' Roses guy. So yeah. like anytime I think of you, it, are they your favorite band? Yeah, it's a, I guess it's like a revolving door because I'm a huge Doors fan, too. Like okay. big, big time. And uh, so I, I juggle between those two. But uh I would probably at this point, being that I was able to see them live quite a few times and yeah. just following the 
complicated history and stuff through the years. I, they, I'd probably say they're my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So like anytime I hear Guns N' Roses, I think of you by default. I mm-hmm. think of you. So the random album that we grabbed, we're breaking the Rocktober uh, theme a little bit because Rocktober, we're doing all 2021 albums, brand new albums from this year. But we, I knew that we could get you on. Guns N' Roses was fresh on my mind because I just saw them not too long ago. So we grabbed Chinese Democracy is the name of the album that we grabbed this time. Is it their most recent album? There's been nothing studio since then, right? No, they're going to put out an EP in February, I think it is. Okay. Like a, like a four-song EP with the two new songs that came out and then two live songs. So it's not Good. it's not an album, but there it is going to be the first official release since then. Something, yeah. yeah. So Chinese Democracy, 2008 album, 14 songs, 71 minutes. Uh, it's their sixth studio album. Uh, some of the stuff that I noticed looking through it, there were about 75,000 thank yous on this album, mm-hmm. of which 40,000 or so were axles, uh, <laughs> including thanking Mickey Rourke, the staff at his bank, which obviously that's some hardworking people at his bank, and Best Buy, which I thought was interesting, too, because there was yeah. some controversy about Best Buy was the first place to release the album. Right. Uh, tons of delays on this album. It, a lot of it was blamed on axles perfectionism. So mm-hmm. you want to chime in on that? Is that... There's some validity to that. I'm sure there's some validity to it. And I think from all that I've read and stuff, he would uh, just get, he wouldn't be into going to the studio. He would, he would really have to work himself up to write and sing and stuff like that. But I always really attributed the album's delays to the constant like staff changes. Of, I mean, the, the, the lineup rather, not the staff, yeah. but you know, Robin Fink was in and out and Buckethead left and then Bumblefoot's yeah. coming in for him. And yep, yep. You know, the, the drummer gets replaced, you know, just before the album comes out and all that stuff. So I always kind of attribute it to, just band turmoil, you know, multiply sure. with little actual, yeah. uh, you know, his uniqueness. Right, exactly. So perfect segue, because I have that he was the only original member from Guns N' Roses with Dizzy Reed, the keyboardist, Dizzy Reed, who came on at some point, like early on, right, Dizzy Reed? Yeah, he was on for the Use Your Illusion albums in 91. Okay, so yeah, he they, was the only other one there other than Axel that was like a familiar name. So a lot of lineup changes, um, Buckethead, like you said, uh, this Bumblefoot, and they were supposed to replace Slash, which obviously didn't happen. Brian May of Queen was there for like half an hour as part of this. So yeah. just a crazy revolving door. Like you said, I think I counted 17 people played on the album. There were 17 musicians' names on the credits. So they said the album cost $13 million to make. Most expensive album ever made. It uh, debuted at number three on Billboard. Did not meet sales expectations, but the critics mm. generally liked it. Um, there, it was alleged that there were 50 to 60 al- uh, songs ready to record, that there was that much material that they had ready to go. Um, Axel referred to the album as a melting pot of sounds, which I I definitely can hear that in this album. For sure. um, and you, like you said, Axel's paranoia, Axel isolating himself. Um, there was a lot of mentions of Axel dabbling in industrial electronica and grunge, as well as other types of music, which I think you can definitely hear that influence in here. So yeah, uh, yeah, like with especially like Sha- well, we'll get into the songs individually. Like Shackler's Revenge was very like Power Man Five Thousand or like late nineties kind of mm-hmm. to me. That's what it sounded like anyway. Yep. One uh, one rumor that I read that I found amusing was they thought Buckethead was Slash. There's like yeah. a faction of people that think Buckethead is Slash. So yeah, shooting that down. He had, he, yeah, oh, totally. Because he had the long black hair. And when they first came back, that's people. there was people so like a fake Ultimate Warrior. People, oh, that's Slash under the thing, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. For sure. So Buckethead controversial because he left and then was convinced to return because they built him a giant chicken coop 
in the studio so he could mm-hmm. play around in the chicken coop with complete with chicken wire, straw, rubber chickens. So he got in trouble because he eventually started openly watching porn in the chicken yeah. shack or the chicken coop. And then mm-hmm. Axel's dog wandered in and took a dump in the chicken coop. So a lot of issues with the chicken coop. So yeah. very controversial. Yeah. So. I remember the, one of the stories was after someone reported it to Axel, like, man, he's watching some crazy porn in there or Axel Fall, <laughs> whatever. He he had to talk to him about it and said, I, I want you to erase everything you did. I don't want this. I don't want the music on this album being inspired by hardcore porn. He's like, that's not really where my head's at or something. Right. So yeah, he had, he had to cut all the work out. So many crazy stories about this. They did a tour. They took a break, a break, so to speak, and did a tour 2001, 2002, including a Rock in Rio 3, which had mm-hmm. 190,000 fans. Um, mm-hmm. After the release of the album in, 2000, in November 2008, Axel went AWOL, did no marketing, uh, leading people to say that The Rock's most anticipated album petered out because the marketing missed opportunities because Axel wasn't around. Uh, yeah. All kinds of lawsuits back and forth between Axel and management. They even criticized the uh, the album cover, the art, which you can mm. see there, and Brian's got on the bottom too. But the art was criticized. Like that was another reason that was uh, theorized that why the album didn't sell. I'm like, I don't have a problem with that picture. What's the big deal? Yeah, why was, was that controversial? I I remember yeah. reading the only thing that uh, that he couldn't get you know clearance for whatever they overruled him on was they insisted that the band's name be on the side there. Guns N' Roses chunk because he just wanted GNR on it. They're like, no, we gotta gotta have the name on yeah, there for sure. The hell it is. You know? So of course the album was banned in China. That just seems like a natural because the oh, name of the true. album was Chinese Democracy. So yeah. in March of 2008, did you know the Dr Pepper story? I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. I so that, Dr right. Pepper offered a free can of Dr Pepper to anyone in the U.S. except Slash and Buckethead were specifically Buckethead. named that they would not get a free can of soda if the album actually comes out in 2008 because there were like it was already a decade late or whatever it was, you know. So yeah. the album actually did come out in November 2008. Dr Pepper's website crashed because people were so many people were going on trying to get the coupon giveaway, and Axel mm-hmm. said that also hurt the promotion of the album because it made them look bad. You know, yeah. So Dr. Pepper feuding with Guns N' Roses. So, so, um, of the original members, Slash and Izzy and Duff all liked this album. They all went on record saying they liked it. Steven Adler hated it. So, I thought that was interesting that one of the original members had a very negative opinion on it. So, a lot of mixed reactions with critics. Jim DeRogatis, who's a famous guy out of Chicago, said it reminded Mm -hmm. him of Gunfather or Godfather 3. Like, Mm. The unnecessary Godfather movie in that. Right. So, like I said, 17, 17 musicians listed. Um, Axel either wrote or co-wrote every song. So, right. really interesting album. We had originally talked, you and I had talked about doing Spaghetti Incident as the, uh, the album for this. But mm-hmm. I literally couldn't find it. it. It's here somewhere in my house, and I couldn't find it. So, we went with this. I'm really glad we went with this, because this is a fascinating album and a fascinating story leading into it. So, yeah, where did... There, there's so much more to, to dig deep into with this because the process took so long. All the changes, changes in the songs, like all that stuff, changes in release dates, all that, and, and all the controversy. So with Spaghetti Incident, it would have been fun to go over the songs. But this, like yeah. you said, had a really rich backstory. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, all right, so we're ready to jump into the song. So we're opening up the album with, of course, the title track is Chinese Democracy. To me, not a typical Guns N' Roses sound to it. It started with these echoes and special effects. The Guns N' Roses traditional sound eventually comes in. uh, But like you had mentioned, I can definitely hear like a tool rage against the machine kind of sound coming out from this. 
Axel's big political statement, you know, got the album banned in China, of course. But I thought good throbbing song, good opener. Definitely could see this as a concert opener, too. So I really enjoyed the the opening track. Yeah, when they were first torn the album, they did open with it. And you know, I, I, it was a song that eventually won me over. Like the original versions I heard demos or whatever weren't like mm-hmm. as explosive, I guess. So this song, mm-hmm. like you said, it starts out with all that stuff going on. But when it kicks in, it, it really does kick in. Yeah. And you mentioned cool, one of the guys that worked close with Axel on this. You could see him listed in the credits, probably under sound effects or synthesizers. There's a guy named Chris Pittman who did work okay. with Tool. So yeah. Axel was kind of grabbing from... Oh, I got the Nine Inch Nails guitar player here. I got this guy from Tool. I got Tommy Stinson from The Replacements. Whatever. Let's, you know, it was yeah. really an eclectic mix. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I thought like you could definitely hear the evolution of Axel himself as a musician throughout the course of this album, like compared mm-hmm. to the very, you know, first couple Guns N' Roses songs that we were all familiar with. So I thought really great way to open the album. Second track, uh, Shackler's Revenge, you mentioned earlier, song about, really interesting, song about the Virginia Tech school shooter, Sung Hui Cho, who wrote Mm. a play based on Mr. Blackstone. And so this is about the media overreaction to Cho's obsession with Guns N' Roses. So Mm. like you had mentioned what it sounded like, I definitely said Rob Zombie sound. That's in my notes. It definitely had a Rob Zombie sound. What I like is... Axel has like, and you mentioned this to me personally on the side before, there's like four different Axels singing on this, uh, on this song. It's like four mm-hmm. different sounds and you know, it's all him and they just have it all mixed together. Just a really cool effect of all these four different Axel sounds simultaneously on this song. So pretty cool yeah. song. I thought really interesting. What do you know about the subject matter? Uh, it was, I guess the lyrics were about that shooting. It was an instrumental by Bucket uh and probably brain the drummer they sent in a, a di- like you can act like there's a the little different clicks on this like there's some buckethead songs there's some think songs there's songs he's writing mm-hmm. with dizzy and you can hear the difference kind of between who's doing what this was definitely a buckethead song and uh i i it's not one of my favorites but uh i wouldn't skip it either you know it's like it's it's a time and place kind of song yeah yeah really interesting and uh, again interesting subject matter on this album and that's one of the songs that leads me to make that statement so all right we are at the midway point of the show we're going to flip the album we're going to take a break pay some bills listen to our wonderful sponsors while joe vapes over on that other end there and we will be right back with side two of chinese democracy on the record store This episode is also brought to you by SpunkLube.com. Remember when you're getting funky like a monkey, if you know what I mean, use Spunky. That's right. Go to www.SpunkLube.com and tell them STS Pod sent you. Right Notes, the first book by Twitter influencer Lance Levine. It's a wild ride down a path of musical adventure that recaps many random run-ins with rock royalty, such as U2, Slash, The Ramones, The Goo Goo Dolls, and many more. And all the crazy occurrences that have happened to him that trace back to music. All the Right Notes is 209 pages sure to bring a smile to your face and to remind you how much music has probably touched your life as well. 
All the Right Notes, available now on Amazon in paperback for $14.99 and on Kindle for all you tech warriors for $9.99. Also at local Chicago bookstores, as well as Rolling Stone Records on Harlem and Irving. If you can't find it, ask for it by name. All the Right Notes by Lance Levine. And I have been told... I could not put it down. I read it all in one day. So order it now and see what all the fuss is about. Hey, use our Uber Eats code eats dash Brian T two four seven nine O U E. That's eat dash Brian T two four seven nine zero U E. Use that code and get $20 off a $25 order. Are you enjoying the episode? Well, Cash App us. That's right. Dollar sign B-T-S-T-S. You don't have Cash App? Download it and get $5. That's right. $5. That's dollar sign B-T-S-T-S. Dollar sign BTSTS. All right. We are back. Thank you to our sponsors. A uh, couple quick mentions. We got to get in that this week I guested on a podcast called Playlist Wars. Uh, it's a real cool concept. It's a couple guys, Brian and Gomez, that do this show. Uh, they basically come up with their 10 favorite songs from a band and they compare their notes. They usually have a third guest on who I was the guest. And of course, the band that we did was Fleetwood Mac. Uh, that episode came out this week. So it was a lot of fun. And then the listeners get to vote who has the best playlist. So hence the name Playlist Wars. So thank you to those guys for having me on. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors. Um, if you guys want to promote Rocktober, our Rocktober shows, we've had so many great shows this year but especially this month it's all exclusively with the exception of chinese democracy about 2021 albums so we've had mammoth already we've had nancy wilson got a couple of big names coming up in the next couple of weeks while rocktober is coming to a close so anyway let us get back with our special guest joe feeney and we're talking about chinese democracy by guns and roses their sixth studio album so we're on side two now so the third song is called better um axel with the high falsetto vocals to open the song uh then he goes into the normal axle growl i thought a really good groove to this i really thought it was a great sound to it uh one of these songs that i thought without those vocals and without hearing that it was axle i would never have guessed that this is guns and roses it did mm. not sound like a guns and roses song to me and this is where i first started getting the vibe that is this an axle solo album i heard there was some talk like people considered it that what do you think I I mean it's he wrote all the songs so there is it's obviously his his stamp is on everything but mm. a lot of those guys wrote the music you know he the way I understand he made the record is you know someone would come up with an idea they pass it to the next guy pass it to Tommy pass it to Dizzy let's see polish it up polish it up pass it to Axel Axel thinks he needs more guitar so it was an interesting way to make an album they're not sitting in the room jamming they're kind of mm. passing files back and forth you know yeah. so um. I, I consider it a Guns N' Roses album. It's, or I would call it, you know, GNR or something like that. I, yeah. I was at Splash, no, but I still think it's a Guns N' Roses album. Right. It just that, like I said, this is this song. You know, it's only we're only three songs in, and this was the first song where I find I got I kind of did get that feel like, oh, this is just Axel taking over. This is like Stevie Nicks doing a Stevie Nicks album as opposed to Fleetwood Mac, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Lindsey Buckingham, even better example. Yeah. But this song better, so melodic. Uh, honestly, to me, deserved to be a radio hit. This should have been a rock 
staple on rock radio. I, I thought it was great. There was a guitar riff mid song that I thought was phenomenal. Uh, mm -hmm. Really enjoyed better. I thought it was a great song, and I love the the falsetto vocals going into his his big you know his normal snarl. So really enjoyed better. Better better gave me hope at the time because it uh it leaked in like early 2006 before they were going to hit the road. Some people say these okay. are coordinated things, whatever. Mm -hmm. See, the album didn't see the light of day for another two and a half years, but I had, I'd been listening to it since 2006 and it was the first taste I got of what he was cooking in there. Finally, after a, a song called, Oh my God came out in 99, which was kind of like, they say it was a demo. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So when I heard the, the better demo though, I went, all right, we got something here. Maybe this will be something. I really like it. I'm glad to see slash and Duff have played it or embraced it. So now they play it, you know? And, yeah. um, when I I've done a few podcasts about GNR and if you get into the favorite song thing, what are your three favorite songs? Mm. Better is always in there. Like the, I really, really like the song and it did, it gave me hope for that, that version of the band, you know? Yeah. That's cool because it's in your team photo of favorite songs. So for a song yeah. like that, that was never released as a single or anything to be that high on your list is pretty cool. So, yeah. all right. Fourth song is called street of dreams. Uh, a piano ballad in the whole November rain mode. Uh, people, for whatever reason, people compared it to Queen and Elton John, which, mm. okay, Elton John maybe because of the piano, obviously that's the, the obvious go-to. But I like the just juxtaposition of Axel's crying and screaming vocals against this beautiful piano that he's playing. Mm. So I didn't hear Queen. I mean, I'm a pretty decent-sized Queen fan, and I didn't really hear any Queen comparisons on Street of Dreams. Like the song. Uh, but definitely more of an Elton John feel to it. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And, you know, they always say that that was the musical split. Axel was, he wanted to experiment. He wanted, uh, mm -hmm. Queen's his band. Elton's his guy. He wants to go down that road and Slash is like Black Sabbath, you know? So mm -hmm. that's where their musical disagreements happen. But with Street of Dreams, I think they actually could just pluck this and even put it back in the 90s on Use Your Illusion. Like yeah. it just sounds like that version of the band. And then it was another song that got me excited for that reason. Okay. Yeah. They still sound like Guns N' Roses. Cool. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, I think that, like, what did the what did the guys like uh, like Buckethead and those other guys, what did they think of the more mellower type music like this? Did they want to rock out, like you said, like Slash? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I think, well, if you look at the credits, you see who, who worked on what, and you can always tell a bucket shred or a lick or whatever, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he's, I think he does play part of the outro on this. Uh, I don't know those guys when they did tour with the band, they always seem like they're having a blast. So yeah, they enjoy the material. Yeah. Another really good song. So four out of four so far on this album. So fifth song is called if the world, uh, a flamenco start to it. Very strange, you know, again, not guns and roses sound. It reminded me of the band war. Like it just had mm -hmm. this war so sound to it. So they said it was designed to be a James Bond or black exploitation movie soundtrack sound which i don't know about that but i got more the the calypso flamenco kind of sound to it so again another not gnr sound if it wasn't for axel's voice coming in so i thought more of a bluesy sound to it um it, it he kind of actually channels the dude from uh triumph on this song he actually had this high-pitched like fight the good fight kind of sound on this uh, on this song so i thought it was a really cool song i love the groove to it i thought Guns N' Roses showing something of a beat was kind of a surprise to me. So I enjoyed If the World. Yeah, I um, it's very different, but I liked it immediately. Uh, as soon, I couldn't wait for the album to wind up on jukeboxes so I could play this song. And it's funny, like I would play and people would go, oh, is that the new Guns N' Roses? What is that? But no one ever came over and asked me what I was playing more than for this song. Is that, really? is that Guns N' Roses? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Because it doesn't sound like it, you know. And I guess at the time, people were aware there was there was a new album. But yeah, I like "If the World" a lot, and and I, the outgoing uh, uh, guitar and all that, everything mm-hmm. in the outro is is fantastic. I think that there's a number of songs that are, there's a few coming up that I think are very polarizing for Guns N' Roses hardcores. Yeah. Like I could see this being a song that a Guns N' Roses true fan and, you know, hardcore fan would be like, oh, fuck that. I, you know, I hate that if the world that sucks, you know, I can see that kind of reaction to certain songs, I bet. Yeah. So and that sure. that would be one of them. So, mm-hmm. all right. Sixth song was there was a time with loaded with strings. It opens with the big strings, the big orchestral sound to it. Um, I tend to like the big Guns N' Roses production numbers like this, like Civil War and stuff like that, mm-hmm. November Rain. Um, this one, for whatever reason, though, didn't click for me. It just, it was just kind of there. I always like when they build to a big finale and this kind of had that, but this tried, but it just didn't work for me. So I, I don't know. Nice attempt. And I like the Guns N' Roses epic, but this one just didn't cut it for me. Yeah, I uh, it's another one that leaked early, and and there's okay. some different forms of this song where there's no orchestra, there's it's just straight a straight rock song. So, but they really wanted to beef it up. Uh, Axel obviously did. He if you looked on the credits there, he had two movie producers working on, you know, sounds for some of the songs. So, or not movie producers, uh, s- sound guys. But, um, yeah, there was a time I think has some of the best guitars I've ever heard on a Guns N' Roses album, and I'm pretty sure okay. it was Bucket. You know, so the the two outros that he that he does, and and they said actually, I, I saw a video uh, that at the end of the song, Axel actually hits his highest note scientifically because they measured it <laughs> of all time. So it's it's pretty spectacular. I like it. So there's something to be said for there was a time. It's got something going for it. So the Guinness mm-hmm. Book of World Records there. So yeah. all right, seventh song is called Catcher in the Rye much like the name of the classic book. So Axel mm-hmm. wrote this as a tribute to John Lennon because Mark David Chapman was carrying catcher in the rye when he murdered john lennon uh again a piano based song but then the band really kicks in kind of all over the place uh the song kind of all over the place definitely more of an anti i thought more of an anti mark chapman sound or song than a pro john lennon tribute i didn't get the lennon in the lyrics i didn't get him like you know singing about his hero or an idol or anything like that. I got more of the anti, the bashing of the Mark David Chapman type stuff in this song. Right. So Catcher in the Rye, another really interesting pick for these guys. Yeah. And this is the one, I don't know if you know this, but when they brought Brian May in for two, three days, whatever it was, he played mm-hmm. guitar over this, uh, a song called Atlas Shrugged, which has not been released. It's it's out there, but it's not nothing official. And then there was a third mm-hmm. one. I think it was called Perhaps, but he was on Catcher in the Rye and the version you're hearing on the album took brian may off and replaced him with bumblefoot brian may yeah. played on catcher in the rye and they had, and they yanked him to give this solo to someone who's actually in the band so i just always thought that was and, and that was in like 1999 so that's right. only just nine years until they you know mess with it and finally released it so brian may i think is thanked on the notes but he's not actually he doesn't actually appear on the album then no he was taken off and, and yeah. I've, I've read interviews he's always like whatever i support axel and those <laughs> guys and I, you know, I guess they're pretty tight with him so yeah, he seems like a really well-liked guy in uh, in music history, for sure. So, all right, number eight is a song called Scraped. Uh, again, very cool effects with Axel's voice. A lot of times on these shows, a singer that I love, they'll use a filter on their voice and screw up their voice. I'm like, why are you messing with that voice? You know, But I actually like the effects on Axel's voice here. Again, it sounds like four different versions of himself, just like the song earlier. And again, a very groovy kind of sound to it, very heavy reliance on bass. Um 
totally goes with a white zombie. I said white zombie meets living color. That was the mm -hmm. sound that I got from this was white zombie and living color. Um, would be so fun live. This song would be so fun live with all that's going on in this song. There's just so many different things going on all across the sound of this song. So I really enjoyed Scraped. I thought just a great, like very chaotic song that I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's definitely very chaotic. I uh, I actually would, would disagree with you on this one. If there was a song I really, they say take it or leave it, I could leave from the album. Really? I, I, and that's not, it's funny because I always say to me, Guns N' Roses is like pizza. Like even when it's nice, of course, that's an old joke, but right, even right. when it's it's still pretty good. So Scraped is not a favorite Guns N' Roses song, but I don't hate it either. You know, it's just right. the lower end of the catalog for me is all. Right. It's just like uh, some of my Stevie Nicks picks. I'll say that I'm not a big fan of a certain song or two, but any Stevie yeah. Nicks is good Stevie Nicks for me. So, right. all right. Ninth song, a really weird one. I don't know. I'm probably not even going to say this right. Riyadh and the Bedouins. So that's, that's a, it. a legal hassle about this song because they're accused of lifting various clips at the beginning of this, which it was yeah. lifted from bands that I'd never even heard of. So it was, to me, it was, it sounded like a money grab, but kind of a Led Zeppelin meets GNR sound to this song. I thought Axel's voice mm -hmm. definitely has this Robert Plant kind of vibe to it. He almost channeled Robert Plant in a weird way here. Also, the other thing that, ch that sounded like channeled, if you will, is that the guitar sounded like edge from U2, a very mm -hmm. different guitar sound for guns and roses on this song. So definitely more of a, a harder, like a very stark, edge kind of sound to it not adam copeland but edge from from youtube paul Houston, yeah. i think is his name uh, or no it's bono but anyway um seemed like it was about the middle east i don't know he mentions desert and sands and nomads so but the the lyrics were so mystical and so abstract that i have no idea what it was about i honestly couldn't tell but he mentioned the desert so many times i'm like okay well it's about middle east war probably because of chinese Something democracy like and you know, so Riyadh and the Bedouins, just a really interesting song. Uh, I didn't get what all the uh, the lawsuit threats were all about on this. Yeah, it's supposedly over that the ambient noise at the beginning and the end. Like they lifted it from some ambient noise guys, you know, yeah, online okay. album or whatever it was. But uh, yeah. another one at the lower end of the catalog. Like there's there's a little piece in the middle here where some. It depends on whether I'm in the mood for catch or not. But that seven eight nine. 10 or 789 is kind of i like the beginning and the end of the album but we'll get to that but riad uh i still do like it's just not not the top for me you know and it's right very interesting though and and i know uh from reading some things that they were it was like they're inspired by immigrant songs so there you go there's your zeppelin, you know zeppelin. I mean? yeah yep. for sure and like i said it, he actually does like slightly sound a little bit like robert plant on that's on this song which i never would make that comparison i never would say oh yeah those guys sound alike like Anna and nancy wilson sound alike yeah. i would never say that about axel and uh and robert plant but in this song there's a there's a similarity so all right 10th song one of my highlights is called sorry just mm -hmm. Total Pink Floyd. This song sounds just like Pink Floyd, which is so weird for me to say because I'm not a Pink Floyd fan. I know that's going to shock people and piss people off, but I am not a Pink Floyd fan. Handful of albums that I liked. I liked The Wall. I liked Wish You Were Here, but I could hear Sorry, this song, being on The Wall. It sounds like it would fit in on that album. So the question is, is it about the former Guns N' Roses guys because he says, I got under your skin, or is it about the critics? So he says, I'm sorry for you, not sorry for me. It kind of morphs into this Metallica kind of sound to it, like a nothing else matters kind of sound to it, too. I love yeah. the song. I There was one line where he says, just shut up and sing. So yeah. is it about the band members that, that walked away, or is it about the critics? What do you think? 
I know that's something that Duff said to him. Why can't you just shut up and sing? So yeah. like just in general, hardcore fans know that, but I've always heard it was about slash Axel said it wasn't said it was like just, you know, an amalgamation of, you know, fans, critics, maybe somebody else, but it's not about one person, you know? So definitely all those different influences went into writing it. Yeah. So really good song. Like I said, for me, it's weird for me to say that a song that kind of sounds like a Pink Floyd song is one of the highlights of the album, but I thought it was really great. So 11 yeah, song IRS did IRS. I was, so what were you going to say? I was going to say, yeah, I, I forgot to say yeah. Sorry is a big time favorite. It's in like the top three off the album for me, but sorry. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> No worries. Uh, so IRS is the 11th song. Did Axel have tax issues? Is that is that what this is about? No, it's very strange. Uh, strangely titled. I, I don't know what the point of the IRS was. Yeah, it was a very paranoia kind of sounding song, which we know Axel was going through a very paranoid phase in his life. So he mentions the FBI. He mentions private eyes, the IRS, the president. Uh, there's just it's a very I don't know, very paranoia kind of sounding to it. Uh Multiple tempo changes, which I generally like. Another song that to me was all over the place. Uh, I have no idea what he was going for with this, uh, what it was, what it was going for at all. But it an enjoyable song. Again, I generally like the tempo changes, but just a, a very strange song that really had me thinking. Like, was there legal problems with Axel? I mean, obviously there were many problems with Axel, yeah. but I wasn't sure that IRS or tax evasion or anything like that was part of it. So. Nothing like that, but I know he he got sued by two exes. He got uh, in trouble in St. Louis. He got in trouble in Canada. All those lawsuits were going on, lawsuits mm -hmm. with other members of the band. Maybe it's just paranoia about getting into tax trouble or someone's coming for my money and whatever, but yeah. I, I like it. You know, it's um, no matter what the intent was, it definitely rocks. You know, it's definitely a good rock song. And um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a fan. I wish they would play it, actually, but it hasn't been played yeah. in a while since, since their union. Yeah, really good song. So then we get to the twelfth song, which I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil the uh, the Patreon episode. This is my favorite song on the album. It's called Madagascar. I love the build to this song. It it just this very simple start that kind of grows and grows. The orchestra comes in, very similar, like I was saying before about the epic you know creations of Guns N' Roses when they do the masterpiece kind of song. So it you know an explosion is coming. The way this builds, you know an explosion is coming. So. Just an anti, it seems like anti-slavery, pro-civil rights song. They play sound bites from various movies. They play sound bites from Martin Luther King speeches interwoven mm -hmm. in just really well. Just very smooth, just fluid production on this. Uh, the There's a passage on it that has like this Beatles era, like LSD era sound to it. This very psychedelic kind of groove to it, I thought. Uh, Axel comes back in, just a really powerful song, really powerful production. To me, spectacular. And so my question is, are GNR fans a fan of this song? Are they okay with it? Because it was definitely out there, definitely different than what people would expect with like, you know, Welcome to the Jungle era. So did did GNR fans, did hardcores like Madagascar? I think when it first came around, because you had to remember, even though the album wasn't until 2008, Axel was torn songs off it from 2001 through 2002, 2006, whatever. So people had heard Madagascar show after show after show. They saw him, mm -hmm. he played it on MTV, on the VMAs. So it was it was familiar to people a little bit. So I'd always hear a lot of applause for it and stuff. But I think as time went on and the album came out and there's more songs, now there's even more songs. I know we can revisit the older stuff with Slash and whatnot. I don't think mm -hmm. that there's too many people that are going crazy when they hear it played in the encore, you know? Like, it's actually, it's an inside joke between me and my wife. Like, oh, Madagascar, you know? But, <laughs> I, but, I, but I like it. I just make fun of it because I know she's going to be like, because it's kind of a downer yeah. for a live show, you know? 
But uh, no, I liked it, and I, I was a fan of it from when I first heard it. And I always thought that they would have trouble with that middle section with the quotes and the and MLK, mm-hmm. like getting permission for all of it. But they did it and, and wound yeah. up keeping it in. So I just thought that was really unique. Part of why the album cost thirteen million dollars to make, probably. I bet. I so, bet. so your wife is a big GNR fan too. No, but she tolerates it for on my behalf. Like she right. went to she went to a couple shows with me years ago, and then I finally drug her again uh, last month. But mm-hmm. she had a blast at that one. You know, we were at the House of Blues. We were only a few rows back, standing room, mm-hmm. and uh, she hadn't seen Slash with me yet. It was just a really, really good show. He was on his voice. Axel's yeah. voice was on, and everything like that. So, yeah. So, so that's the it's was the, the same tour I just saw, right? The yeah. same tour. Yeah, just before, or yeah, just before you did. Yeah. Okay. Was with so, Mammoth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, I saw him open twice. I saw him yeah. open up in Hershey and then in Atlantic City. Yeah. No, I, you- I, I really liked him. I know I went out of my way to, to download at least a couple of the songs right away. Um, yeah. I'd like to check out the whole album. I just haven't yet, but he was a fun live performer. There was no, 